Hi, everybody. This is Liz with the Birth Nurses Podcast, and I'm here with my podcast partner, Shana Brickner. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. How's I'm the excited kids? for, oh, the kids are fine. Uh, <laughs> In this rain. You know that they, that school has been closed yes. this week because of the strikes. Yeah, we've had a lot of kin care call-ins oh, at yeah. work because yeah. nobody has child care. Exactly. But I think it's going to be over this week, right? Yeah, so today is apparently the last day, um, but hopefully they got the outcome that they're wanting. I agree. Today, yeah. we're yeah. going to do something fun. <laughs> we're going to do um, rapid fire Q&A, not any specific subject. We're going to ask each other some questions about labor and delivery and breastfeeding. Yeah, and questions that we've gotten from you guys, right. from my Instagram followers, from our clients in class. And just common questions that will hopefully uh, boost your knowledge about birth and breastfeeding. And then you can just share your answers with new pregnant friends. Yeah. And be like, well, we listened to the Birth Nurses podcast and they did a rapid fire Q&A. Yeah. And you should listen to the episode. <laughs> and that's what we want. Right. And share nothing's off limits. podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing, too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. Okay, Shana, yes, it. go for it. Okay, Liz. Mm. How does someone know if they're really in labor? That is such a funny question because I talk about this in class all the time because, of course, it comes up every class mm -hmm. for years. How do I know? Like, very few people have a baby at home if they're a prima gravita, a first-time mom, generally because discomfort, pain, waves, earthquakes, whatever you want to call them, drive you to literally get in the car and go to the Exactly. <laughs> I say to people, if you come to the hospital with a big smile on your face and you say, hi, <laughs> I'm in labor, we're thinking, she said, I'm not in labor. You may be dilated. You may be having contractions, but you're probably not in labor if you're not experiencing birth contractions that make you breathe through them, grimace, yep. take pause. Yep. I like to say my like quick motto i guess is if you can walk through them if you can talk through them then stay at home yeah if you can't talk through your contractions you can't walk through your contractions then get ready to go to the hospital because you're Absolutely. approaching that active labor phase where you would you need to be at the hospital right i if mean that's just where you're planning you, to give birth if that's where you're planning <laughs> to give birth right the and the other thing is you know, geography. In Los Angeles, you yeah. can get across town in 20 minutes at certain part of the day and an hour and a half at other parts of the day. Yeah. So kind of look at rush hour, look at the streets you have to go to. And, you know, you're coming from Santa Clarita, North Malibu. Yeah. These are just places in LA that are far away from, you know, the central. If you're yes. delivering downtown and you live close to downtown, so be aware yeah. of the geography. But yeah. I completely agree with that. And you can if walk in doubt, and talk. You can call your OBGYN or Always. your midwife. 
and tell them what you're experiencing and mm-hmm. they can guide you in the moment. Even if your water breaks, it doesn't mean you have to come to the hospital. That's if true. If you have had a conversation yeah, you with your OB, you're both comfortable with staying home until your contractions establish duration, strength, frequency, some predictability over time and some discomfort, mm-hmm. then stay at home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you. What do I say when a patient says, I can't breastfeed because I didn't make milk with my first baby? I would call a BS on that because, <laughs> well, first of all, I would ask a lot of questions lot of about questions. the first breastfeeding experience. Was there um, a tongue tie for the baby and that impacted the removal of the milk? What Did you get your um, thyroid function tested? Did you get your hormones tested? Because if prolactin is low, if your thyroid hormones are all out of whack, that could affect breastfeeding, but mostly, and your milk supply, but mostly, most of the time, your milk supply is driven by the removal of milk. So it's, so a low milk supply is caused by inefficient removal of the milk or infrequent removal of milk. And there's a common misconception that The longer you wait between feedings, the more milk you're going to make or the more milk baby's going to get. Quite the opposite, right? Your body, when you're lactating, works on this demand and supply rhythm. And when there's more demand, there's more supply. So less demand equals less milk supply. So typically with your second baby, especially with a second baby, those milk ducts, those uh, glands, the mm-hmm. alveoli, have been already stretched by the, the first lactating experience. And so you typically have more milk with your second baby. And it's probably nothing to worry about. But if you would like a further, deeper assessment and all this, contact a lactation consultant. I would Such love to yourself. be that. Yes, I would love to be that person for you. We could do virtual visits. We could do home visits if you're in L.A. And uh, talk about that. I do a lot of uh, consults with second-time moms who had poor lactating, breastfeeding experiences with their first baby, and they want a different experience this time around. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Liz. Mm. uh, Do you really get to 10 centimeters dilated (laughs) when you are in labor? People always look at that chart in labor and delivery and go, yeah. oh, that seems really big. Like, my, and they, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, like well, what? the it's head can big. be between, you know, average 12 and a half to 14 and a half inches. Yeah. Think about 10 centimeters. Yeah. So what I say is it, the centimeter dilation is in the literal hands of the beholder. Exactly. So when I examine a patient, I say that they are completely dilated if I feel no cervix left and mm-hmm. that the head is coming through the pelvic inlet and the cervix is gone. We would call that yes. complete. I'm yes. reticent to say the word 10. Yeah. Good. Good I question. Know. I had someone uh, <laughs> message me recently on Instagram and they were like, I, um, my doctor said I got to 12 centimeters. I was like, yeah, I, maybe, I guess. But we usually just say 10 centimeters as the completely dilated. You know, and people are smart. Uh, They put two and two together. If an average size baby's head is 12 or 13 or 14 inches, then how does 10 centimeters get a baby? And I'm like, really good point. It's just a measurement that we use. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness gracious. All right. So I have a question. I have a question for you. Why is it important that we start hand expressing early on when we have premature babies? 
Ooh, good one. I've been trying to do that with almost everybody in labor and delivery. I love that. Um, most people don't know about hand expression, but your hands are the best tools when you're breastfeeding, especially with your colostrum. So colostrum is the first milk that you have. You start having colostrum around the second trimester of pregnancy. And when your placenta is delivered, it kickstarts this lactating journey for you. And all these hormones start to kick in and, and work together to create milk for your baby. But you have colostrum first. And hand expression, using your hands to get the milk out, gets the colostrum out way better than pumping. And you can collect that in a little cup. You can bring that in a syringe or the nurse can bring it in a syringe to the NICU if your baby's in the NICU. So that baby gets that colostrum that is packed with enzymes and growth factors and antimicrobial factors that isn't necessarily in formula. It seems like it's just a good skill to have if you have a clogged milk duct. Yes. Or your baby won't latch or your baby doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Having that that tool that in your tool belt of knowing how to hand express is really important. I'm Elizabeth Baker Wade. I am a labor and delivery nurse, registered nurse, birth educator, and podcaster. My birth education classes are concentrated on how to have a better hospital birth and high-risk pregnancy. What's high risk? What does that mean? High risk are moms who are experiencing histories of chronic hypertension, pregnancy-induced hypertension, we call that preeclampsia, insulin-dependent diabetes, infertility, and other comorbidities in their pregnancy, which bump them into a higher risk category. Mm. Why do you like to teach about high-risk pregnancies? Because there's going to be more interventions often in the high-risk mom. And getting familiar with the vernacular and understanding the risk-benefit of these interventions and why your obstetrician is going to bring them up and getting prepared for what's going to happen in the hospital, I think can really greatly reduce fear and anxiety. And a lot of moms out there have comorbidities these days. We need to help them out on their way. Making peace with intervention when necessary helps for a better smoother labor and delivery, I think. How can someone sign up for your class? They can go to birthandbeyond.net. You can email me at liz at birthandbeyond.net. I will respond within 24 hours. All my schedules, fees, and times are on my website. I also have a consultation membership and a text me anything membership for a month at a time where I will answer as many texts as you need questions that come up out of the blue lots of texts come after the appointment right <laughs> yep <laughs> i just had an appointment with my lb and i what don't understand <laughs> yeah right i'm at birthandbeyond.net okay liz is there a cutoff time for when you can get an epidural <laughs> <laughs> i laugh at all these because people <laughs> that tell me my friend couldn't get an epidural because she was too dilated. Well, what's too dilated? She was six centimeters or nine centimeters. So to me, 
the question that I would ask back is, how long was it from the time she was told she couldn't get an epidural till the time she delivered? Oh, it was about two hours. I'm like, well, that person got ripped off of her desire to have an oh, epidural because there was probably another reason why she couldn't. Now, let's just talk about availability. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, there are anesthesiologists available on a unit in most hospitals especially in big cities. That is not to say that in smaller cities and towns, there is 24 anesthesia available. It may not be. Right. But we are lucky enough in Los Angeles to have 24-hour availability. That doesn't mean the, the anesthesiologist may not be with another patient in an emergency, in the operating room, mm-hmm. doing a routine cesarean section or a repeat cesarean mm-hmm. section, and that availability is going to take a while, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So readily available most of the time. Certainly, there are times that they won't be available. When is it too late to get an epidural? If you're pushing a baby out of your body. Exactly. That's what I always say. You know, if they are uh, so dilated that they're bearing down and they just feel like they have to push, I usually just like, just push away and get it over with. Yeah. Some doctors will say, oh, I can get that epidural in in three minutes. Mm -hmm. And they can't. Mm Mm-hmm. And the bulk of the epidural takes effect when the baby is already born. <laughs> but some doctors say, well, I can give her a little bit of relief. But, you know, go. she's 10 centimeters plus one station and we'll give it a shot. So a lot of doctors will just try. And sometimes you make it through the epidural and sometimes not. Yep. Yeah. With my first baby, I was like nine and a half centimeters and I asked for an epidural. It took maybe like 30 minutes of waiting before the anesthesiologist even came in. Oh, yeah. And then I think it was just the act of the position I was sitting in. Yeah. Within 20 minutes, she was like, okay, she's done with, you know, inserting the epidural. Mm -hmm. Um, She was like, what's your pain level? And I was like, it's a 10 out of 10. I feel like there's a bowling ball in my butt. Yeah. And then they checked me and I was pushing. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't take effect. My left leg went a little bit warm and tingly. And I was like, cool, that's what an epidural feels like. <laughs> no. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's never too late to try. You could try. But, but um, of course, I want to tell people, like, you've gotten, you know, you, you've, you're, you're this far. Yeah. It's right there. Just yeah. push away. And sometimes pushing <laughs> really alleviates a lot of that discomfort. It's, true. it's better to push than to try to hold back because that's how our bodies are made. Yep. Okay, Shana, if a patient feels like, a mom feels like she's making more milk on one side than the other, can she just feed on one side the whole time? Technically, yeah. She could do whatever she wants, but (laughs) she's going to have some lopsided boobs if she does that. (laughs) So what I usually recommend is, so let's call your boob that has more milk, the super boob. Okay. And the boob that has a little less milk, the slacker boob, or your, you know, lower had a producing boob. And <laughs> usually people have a slacker and a super. And it's normal because they're sisters. They're not twins. Your breasts. Oh, and, I'm stealing um, that. <laughs> they're I'm sisters, totally stealing they're not twins. That. That's hilarious. So, you know, they're going to be a little <laughs> bit different. But what I found was helpful is to always start breastfeeding with your slacker ah. and your baby is probably going to eat for like four or five minutes mm-hmm. on the slacker side. Now this starts around like three or four months where your baby is more efficient at breastfeeding okay. and you have these shorter durations of breastfeeding. 
So they might stay on the slacker side for like hmm. three minutes and mm -hmm. they're like, mom, this isn't flowing fast enough. I want to go to the other side. And you mean so, screaming like a maniac? Yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry, I was just projecting my own experience. <laughs> so then you switch and you let them hang out uh -huh. on the super boob for as long as they want, which maybe is another like eight or ten minutes. And then that was their full meal. So this, the slacker boob's kind of their appetizer, their snack. And then the super boob is their, the I rest of their love meal. love that And that way you never have to forget which boob you started with. I know some people do the like, boob touch test and they're oh, like God. okay this one feels more full let me start with this one but if you know that your right side is your slacker and your left side is your super then you always start with the right side and you always finish with the left and it's easy to remember great explanation that is so funny <laughs> your boobs are sisters not twins yes god hilarious okay question for you mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about a membrane sweep Someone said, I'm 40 weeks in one day now and getting tempted. Okay. At 40 weeks in one day, mm -hmm. I'm not completely against it. But I think what people don't really understand is that when you do a membrane sweep, you can accidentally, artificially rupture the membranes, mm -hmm. unintended. The provider would be doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. You can also release enough of the membranes to allow bacteria into the uterine environment, causing chorioamnionitis. And you can also get thrown into some serious labor that hurts significantly more than had your body gone into a natural onset of labor, mm -hmm. that natural cascade of hormones. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's really, really effective. I'm not altogether against anything ever because I know that we have, you know, to put humanity on the table. Some people are just so uncomfortable at 40 weeks. Yeah. Um, when I am very much against it is um, before term, if you're um, healthy. Yeah. And um, unnecessarily mm -hmm. examining a patient before 39 weeks. Yeah. Um, and without consent, right? Without like consent. You need, yeah. yeah. Always consent. Mm-hmm. Oh, my... My obstetrician examined me, and it hurt so bad, and she tried to stick her finger up in my cervix, and I'm like, yeah, and how many weeks were you? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not a huge fan. Good answer. But when it's, um, you know, necessary. Right. For comfort. Or or maybe to avoid, like, the a big full long induction. induction. Totally. Maybe that's step one. In the right circumstances. Yeah. It's, it's nice, but more? Yeah, let's do more. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, how often do women poop during Maybe pushing? 25% of the time. Everybody's so hung up on this, of course, oh like because <laughs> we're women and we generally are the uh, people who go into the bathroom and do what we have to do and get out. And we don't have lots of conversations about it. I've raised a son. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Little girls don't generally say, come look and come look and see how big my poopy is. <laughs> and, um, we clean it up and we make it go away and then we lie about it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I, I usually like, say like, okay, you know, if someone asks me before they go into labor, am I going to poop? I'll be like, if mm. you do, it's probably like the smallest little rabbit turd and mm -hmm. like, we don't care. And, and we if don't you care. do, you're pushing then right. it smells up the room. Like we'll spray some air freshener and we'll clean you up and it'll be fine. I have some good, <laughs> I have a trick about 
a good trick. Ooh, what is the trick? I put coffee grounds from our little kitchen <gasps> in a filter and bring it in the room, and that oh, coffee absorbs a lot. Oh, my gosh. I got that from our new nurse about 15 that, years ago. Oh, great I do that tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. coffee grounds absorb that. Yeah. That, like you, if you're doing like a, um, a tasting, right, of yeah. different foods, mm-hmm. they tell you to sniff coffee, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, I think it's Clear great. Clear your palate. I think, I think this is a funny subject also. I, of course, I always try to make jokes, you know me, uh, about something that's uncomfortable for people. Uh-huh. And, you know, it takes a lot to embarrass or gross out a labor and delivery nurse. People say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to gross you out. I'm like, yeah, just try it. It's <laughs> pretty much impossible. And <laughs> I don't know. I'd like, to, I'd like to, I'd like to, yeah. And I'm like, this is, I can't believe you have to do that. I'm like, I don't have to do anything, first of all. And second of all, you know, I get paid to do this. <laughs> this is my job. This is my job. <laughs> like, this is part of like what I'm here yeah. for yeah. is to make you feel comfortable about it. And I'm like, so let me understand. You are more concerned about having a bowel movement while you're pushing than a person coming out of your vagina. Right. These are the two things. And this is your biggest concern. <laughs> like, get some perspective here. So. Exactly. <laughs> hey there, it's Shana Brickner. I am an international board certified lactation consultant and a former labor and delivery nurse. I want to let you know something really exciting. I can accept insurance for lactation visits. If you have Aetna, Cigna, Oscar, United Healthcare, Tricare West, or HealthNet PPO, then it is very likely that we can have six or more lactation visits completely covered by your insurance. This can be a home visit or a virtual visit. If the financial side of things have been holding you back from setting up an appointment with me, don't let it. Email me or go to my website, www.preparented.com, to schedule a visit with me for any lactation issue. I can help you with low or high milk supply, clogged ducts, pumping, latching, bottle feeding, tongue tie or lip tie, using a nipple shield, positioning difficulties, introducing solid food, or weaning. I'd love to help you reach your parenting goals, your breastfeeding goals. So please reach out to me. My email is shana at preparented.com and then my website, www.preparented.com. Okay, so I have a question for you. Okay. If my patient tells me that they want to breastfeed just to give the baby some colostrum, but then they're going to bottle feed, how can I counsel them or sort of take a little dive into that sentence without sounding like I'm trying to change their mind or being judgy. Yeah. I know that they're going to create more milk. Mm-hmm. The demand and supply theory kicks in. Mm-hmm. So I want to feed the baby some colostrum while I'm here in the hospital, but I'm going to bottle feed. Yeah. This is tricky. Okay. So there's a couple different routes I want to go. And one thing I want to say, so there are hospitals called baby friendly hospitals. There are several in L.A. and all throughout the United States, but baby friendly means that we encourage breastfeeding Mm -hmm. for all babies. Mm -hmm. And there's no commercial uh, bottle companies or formula companies that are being promoted at that hospital. Mm -hmm. There is formula available, especially for like the NICU babies. So there's not like infamil pens and exactly yeah sticky all notes the marketing all over the place yes, and... yes. <laughs> so that would 
that would have something to do with it. If you are mm-hmm. at a baby friendly hospital, you're mm-hmm. going to get a longer spiel from the nurse about your choice. But ultimately, it is your choice. If that's what you want, if you want to give the baby a little bit of colostrum and then bottle feed after that, you need to know that you are going to produce some milk that's going to set off the whole supply and demand system. And you may need to give yourself about two weeks to experience some engorgement, some fullness until your milk supply dwindles and dries up. But it's tough. I mean, maybe it would change their mind if they give the baby colostrum either by hand expression or by direct breastfeeding. And then they realize, oh, we're actually a good team, me and my baby. And I could keep going. And maybe they go for a week. And then they go for two weeks. Yeah. And then they go for a month. That's generally sort of yeah. the approach that I'm yeah. trying to take. And I think for a lot of people, they hear all the stories, you know, the yeah. horror stories of, oh, breastfeeding was so hard. My nipples were damaged and bleeding. It doesn't have to be like that. And again, like, this I would baby love be to be that support person for you. There are lactation consultants near you, I am sure. A lot of lactation consultants accept insurance now. So don't be hesitant to reach out for help. I know you take insurance. I many, do. many different insurance. Yeah. Which is so great. Oh, yeah. if we could only get midwives and birth educators to uh, cover. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I know that I have that conversation with patients a lot. Mm-hmm. This could be a different experience. Let's just give it a try and see what happens. Give it a try. Oh, wow. She latched on so easily and she yeah. seemed so calm and. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, and this then, might be a And combo feeding is, is not a problem, too. If you want to do a mix of breast milk and formula, like there's so many combinations, so many uh, ways that you can feed your baby. Ultimately, we do want your baby to be fed. As a lactation consultant, I support breast milk as that, that method but, or that food, I guess, for your baby. But ultimately, yeah, it is your choice. Thank you. Okay, a question for you, a little mm-hmm. deeper into things. Okay. What are your tips for avoiding severe postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety with your second birth? We have not had this conversation yet, and we should probably do a podcast on it soon. Yeah. I know that's in our view somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just reveal without going too much in depth that I had what I did not see coming, what I consider severe postpartum depression. The odd thing about my severe postpartum depression is that it came on about two weeks after birth and hit its peak at about 10 weeks and about 13 weeks in. It almost disappeared with the same intensity that my morning sickness, I'm putting quotes in the air because I usually started getting really sick about four o'clock in the afternoon. It just stopped. Wow. And I think that is a hormone regulatory mm-hmm. mechanism. For those of you who have heard our podcast before, I was a surrogate mother in 1999 for my uh, a gestational surrogate for my cousins. And I was fully prepared the second time. Yeah, I saw a therapist. I went to the postpartum depression clinic here in Los Angeles. I got on medication. Uh, my first sips of swallowing uh, was with a pill. Wow. Uh, I titrated up on that dose, stayed on that dose for, I believe, 12 weeks, titrated down and Mm -hmm. went off. That was our plan. It worked great. 
Um, I was not taking this baby home with me. It was my second cousin went home with her parents, Mm -hmm. where she is now a grown up, 24 year old. (laughs) Um, But I really was thinking that the one thing that I need to not do is go down that rabbit hole again. And I knew that there were things in place to deal with it. So I felt comfortable and it worked for me. So I am not a licensed therapist. I highly recommend addressing this early if you have a history of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, attempts that you are fully involved in with a therapist and have had good referrals for uh, psychopharmacological interventions if you need it. And that as you advance into your pregnancy, you get involved in a postpartum depression clinic or with a therapist who specifically deals with postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. and um, fully involve yourself in those um, treatments and talk therapy Yes, to uh, make sure that you also have the people around you who are supportive. I felt very alone and very frightened mm-hmm. and did not know what to do. I had all kinds of crazy thoughts in my head of what would happen if I went to the emergency room. It was insane, and I really wasn't able just to say I am scared to death so not like me is it yeah, I mean no. I, know, I know and when it was over I just look back on that going man wow. and I had people around me all the time right yeah it was crazy yeah so you've got to get in there and you've got to be able to and partners mm-hmm. new moms need to be observant yes is she eating is she crying is she giving eye contact is she holding feeding caressing kissing her baby mm. yeah those are definite red flags for postpartum yeah yes if they're not doing those things yeah feel really strongly about it that's it for our rapid fire q a we hope that was helpful for you and if you have more questions send them remember your sisters yeah yours not (laughs) twins your sisters not twins (laughs) thank you for that thought well thanks for listening everyone it was fun bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.